The following audio is from Missio Day Church in Asheville, North Carolina. We exist for maturing and multiplying disciples in Asheville and beyond for the glory of God. For more resources from Missio Day or to partner with us on mission, visit mdcavl.org. Good morning. It's, uh, it is such a pleasure to be here um, and, uh, and to actually be living in the area now. I think the last time I came, we were still living down in Greensboro and uh, um, didn't get to, to, to grace the beautiful majesty uh, of the mountains around us. I, I, I grew up in Waynesville. Um, I, maybe some of you know that. And so I, I think I, growing up, I really took for granted uh, how, how beautiful this place is. I've, I've lived all over the world now. Um, and some of the most beautiful places in the world, but I still would pit this one against anyone else uh, in terms of beauty. It's just such a beautiful place, so uh, I'm glad to be here with you guys now, living, living back in the mountains. I, I do want to give a little bit of an update of where we are in the church plant. Um, we, we've had some really exciting things happen over the last several months, and I kind of want to invite you guys into those and be able to celebrate with you because you guys are as much a part of this as we are, you guys partnering with us in this, and um, so one of the most exciting things that happened is uh, I had set this goal, this kind of God dream goal, um, back in October of last year, that we would be able to raise $350,000 by the end of April. Um, and when I set the goal, uh, the room that I was in, there was uh, laughs and snickers all around because uh, they were like, sure. Um, and I thought the same thing. I thought, you know, there's no way that this is going to happen. Um, well, God came through. And so a week before the end of April, we got the last $2,500 to push us over that $350,000 mark for these first three years of ministry. So it's just such an awesome testament. You guys are a part of that. So I just want to thank you. Thank you for that because you guys partnering with us in that has been such an incredible thing. Anytime, anytime we, we have someone kind of jump on board and say, yeah, we, we see what you're trying to do. We see what God is trying to do through you. And we want to join in and be a part of that. And, and it's your generosity that really kind of fuels that for us. So I want to say thank you. Um, another exciting thing is, uh, I mentioned we moved up, but our team from Greensboro is starting to move up over the summer too. So we have about half of our team that's moved up. The other half is set to come kind of the end of July, beginning of August. Um, and it's just been an incredible thing. We, we've said uh, with them from the beginning that transitions always create trauma. Uh, there's always going to be this stage of kind of honeymoon when you get to a new place. You, you know, you're going to love it. Every little difference and quirk is cool and nice. And then, then once the honeymoon phase is over, all those differences and quirks start to be like, well, I really don't like that. Um, and so we've been preparing them from the beginning that when you, if to use the analogy of, of replanting a pot or repotting a plant, uh, I guess you should say, um, the first thing that the, pot, uh, that the plant does is wilt before it begins to come back stronger and better than ever. So we've been preparing them that the first thing that's going to happen with you guys is you're going to wilt. So I just kind of ask now, too, that as our team moves up, as they get transitioned, as they start to go through that trauma that transitions bring, I just ask that you guys would be praying for them, uh, that they would be able to come back stronger uh, once they wilt, that they would be able to see the wilt as something beautiful for their growth and maturity in Christ. Um, And I just ask that you would kind of pray with us in that. We're actually now meeting as a launch team in Waynesville, which is really cool, too, on Sunday nights at 5 p.m. over at Lake Chinaleska. Uh, we're kind of gathering together, doing some launch team training, so you guys can be in prayer for those, too. Um, and, and really, I, you know, if you, if you want to hear any more about church plant stuff, you can come to me after, after the service today, and we can chat more. I can talk about it all day. 
But let me jump into, um, into the sermon for today. So I'm going to read this verse uh, from Proverbs 27, verse 9. <clears throat> Oil and perfume make the heart glad, and the sweetness of a friend comes from his earnest counsel. This is the word of the Lord. Let me just pray for us. God, you are, you are good. You are holy. You're set apart from us. As we read earlier, you are the image of the invisible God, Jesus. You are the firstborn of all creation. And in you, the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. And what a beautiful thing that we get to call you friend. God, help us to see today that friendships are lovely, that friendships are wonderful, that they are sweet, and help us to see how we can have an impact in our life with the friends around us. In Jesus' name, amen. They are lovely, right, friendships? Um, They're sweet. I I think this proverb, uh, you know, you guys have been going through the series. I think this proverb is really simple. It's really simple to kind of understand and explain uh, it's saying that this sweetness of a friend really originates from their honest counsel, from their earnest counsel, from their truthful words, from those things that they say to you that, that are actually true, those people close enough to you who can tell you like it is. Uh, one author, he, he put it like this, the sweetness of friendship lies not in hearty mirth and hearty laughter, but in hearty counsel, that faithful advice sincerely given without flattery by counsel of the soul, counsel which reaches the case and comes to the heart, counsel about soul concerns. That's a deep friendship. It's not something that that just happens overnight, you know. It's not something that happens uh, quickly for most of us. For most of us, making a friend like that takes a long time, takes effort, it takes energy. Some of my happiest moments in life revolve around those times where I'm spending time with my close friends, those people who can tell me like it is, you know, who can point out the plank in my eye, those people whom I rely on for big decisions in life, who I talk to, who I seek out their counsel. But the shame in all of that, those guys, they don't live close to me. Um, they, they don't live in Waynesville. They don't, they don't even live, you know, within really like a, a day's driving distance. And maybe you've experienced this. You get older, and some of those closest friends you've had in life, they just scatter to all four corners of the U.S. And maybe you, you text them, and you have a group chat with them, and you send them your Wordle for the day, and you let them know, like, yeah, I did it. I, I made my Wordle. But it it's, doesn't go much deeper than that right now. And if you are lucky to, to, enough to see each other, it's usually only once a year if that, if at all possible. So friendships are lovely, but they're really hard. It's just the truth. And the older you get, the harder it is to make new friends, much less good friends. Finding a good friend past your 20s is like trying to find your phone when it falls between the seat and the car. It's really hard and a little scary. But they're not just hard. Let me ask a question. How many of you like apricots? Okay, half. Did you know that apricots are one of the world's healthiest fruits? They're nutritional heavyweights. They're packed with antioxidants. They're high in fiber. They're full of vitamins like vitamin A and vitamin C. They're also really good for your immune system, and they're really good for skin health. 
but they can also kill you. Did you know that? Apricot pits contain elevated levels of amygdalin, which is a compound that breaks down into hydrogen, hydrogen cyanide when it's ingested. Cyanide from apricots. If you were to consume just a few apricot pits, you'd only have a few hours left to live. So one fruit, but two effects. It can nourish you, and it can take you out. I, I think likewise, friendships, they're essential to your life for flourishing, and yet they can be just as harmful. They're essential, but they can be deadly. I love the book of Proverbs because it's super practical. So today, I, I hope to be very practical for you. And, and I'll just kind of like uh, lay out the plan for the morning so that we all know kind of where we're going. Uh, first, I just want to take a, a look at the real issues that we have with friendships. Just kind of acknowledge some of the things that are just true in our life uh, with how, how we kind of go about uh, making friends and some of, the, some of the obstacles to that. And then I just want to show you the example, the, the embodiment of a friend that Jesus is and that he sets for us in being a friend. And then finally, we'll just kind of end with some application action steps for us to, to kind of all take as we leave today. So issues, Jesus, and then practical steps. So let me just say, the, the first issue with friendship is we live in an individualistic culture. I, I don't know if you knew this, but uh, most of people throughout all of history up until the Industrial Revolution, they never moved more than 20 miles outside of the place of their birth. So for the majority of human existence, the human population was born, lived, and died within that 20-mile radius. That's like, if, so if you were born here in Asheville, you never lived further south than Mills River. You never lived further north than Mars Hill. You've never lived further east than Black Mountain. And then you never lived further west than Canton. Could you imagine that? The curse of only getting to Canton and never getting to Waynesville? <laughs> it's unbearable. I don't know. But that's what most of life was like. So for the majority of human existence, that's what life was like. That's who the Bible is written to. A people that lived communally. They weren't able to skip town when things got tough or when relationships broke down. They worked through them. They, they worked together as a community. We live in this culture of me, 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 and they lived in this culture of we, we, we. Not French, <laughs> but communal. Contrast that with how we live today. So in her book, Find Your People, Jenny Allen, she, she puts it like this. We spend our evenings and weekends tucked into our little residence with our little family or our roommates or alone staring at our little screens. We make dinner for just us and never want to trouble our neighbors for anything. We fill a small little crevice called home with everything we could possibly need. We keep our doors locked tight and we feel all safe and sound, but we've completely cut ourselves off from people outside of our little self-protective world. We may feel comfortable and safe and independent and entertained, but also we feel completely sad. Even though we live in this global, globalized world where we can get to anywhere on a plane and, and we can find out anything at the touch of a button, even though we, we typically move more than 20 miles away from our home, we live a more secluded lifestyle than our ancestors did. 
and we're lonely. Lonely. Actually, the survey, uh, survey Center for American Life, they did a study that confirms that we're the loneliest generation to ever live on planet Earth. I don't know how they polled the other generations, but that's what they said. We were the loneliest generation to ever live on planet Earth. The deck is stacked against you. But even though individualism and loneliness is kind of all around us, we still feel and crave for something more. We still want more. We still want community. We still want friendships. I think we know this, you know, intrinsically. It's, it's just kind of natural and ingrained in us somehow. And um, think about the, the, the end of the show, Friends, if any of you have ever seen the show, Friends. Um, what, what are they getting ready to do? They're getting ready to all part ways and to move out to the suburbs, to get away from being a, a local little community right there. And we're sad, right? We're sad that they're leaving. Why are we sad? We're not sad because the show is ending. I think we're sad because something deep down inside of us is telling us that that's not the time to move. You know, you're all having kids now. You're all uh, going through these stages in life where what you need the most is your closest friends around you, not to leave. Real life doesn't begin when you're alone. Real life is in community with other people. And I think loneliness if we can talk about that for just a second. I think loneliness is a good gift. It's a good gift that God gives to us to push us towards community, to push us towards relationship, primarily to Him. Loneliness is given to us as a good gift to push us to Him. But then once we're pushed to Him, we're also pushed to other people. But the way of the world is against us in this pursuit, and we just need to acknowledge it. That's one issue with friendship. Here's another issue. We have been injured by others. Not only is the culture we live in against us, but for a lot of you, for a lot of us, our real life experiences have also been a detriment to you wanting to look for new friendships, for you wanting to to put yourself out there, for you wanting to be vulnerable. I think this is the apricot pit of friendship. This is the part that can be deadly. And this has happened, you know, where you, where you share this piece of vulnerable information, something close and deep, something in your heart, maybe a wound in your past, and you've shared that with someone else, and they've used that against you. They've betrayed that trust, and they injure you, they harm you, and maybe on purpose, Maybe they did it, uh, uh, you know, to, to try to get something out of you, to, to try to uh, see some, something happen in you. Or maybe they just did it by accident. They, you know, they didn't know that this wasn't supposed to be told to this other person. But they nonetheless, they use what you had told them in confidence against you. So that's one way it happens. That's one way that we can be injured in friendship. There's another way. Uh, another time is during times of grief. There are a lot of different types of grief that we experience and feeling uh, like the friends didn't meet you there in your grief. They They didn't come to you in your time of need. They didn't understand you. They didn't acknowledge or say the right things. I think of Job and his so called friends and his time of grief who came to him. What harm they did to his soul during that time of grief. It wasn't earnest counsel, it wasn't a sweet friendship. And when that happens, it makes you weary of letting people back in. It makes you question 
Should I really go that far with someone? Maybe though the injury wasn't so much a betrayal of confidence or, or a lack of support during moments of hardship, but just a repeated pattern of being left in a different stage of life. This can happen quick. You're good friends with someone, and you're both single, maybe. And then they get married, and then they have kids, and then all of a sudden, it's just a completely different stage of life. You don't find the times to meet up anymore. You don't find the times to live life together anymore. And it's just a sad reality that we live in, that we, we don't take the time to invest in those friendships. So we can be harmed. I, I remember uh, when I was in kindergarten, uh, which was a, a good time ago, and I rode the bus to school each day. Every day, I rode the bus to school. And uh, I sat next to these fifth graders. So I don't know if that was a good idea or not. I was in kindergarten. So. But I sat next to them every day. They were my friends. And we talked every day on the bus. We had a good time. Uh, but then near the end of the year, they said, we can't be your friends anymore, Brody. We're getting ready to go to middle school. And they just dumped me like that immediately. Can you imagine that? Small Brody, same big ears, crushed crushed. We have issues. The culture we live in, the terrible moments that we've had with past friends, and just trying to understand and make sense out of it all. But then, if things are going well, even when things are going well, even when you're doing great with the friends in your life, you have a good close community, you're, you're living life together, you're living communally like God has created us to be. Even when all, of that things, uh, all those things are happening, Satan is still there. He's waiting and ready to pounce. He's waiting and ready to discourage. He's waiting and ready to interfere and to pervert. That's the third issue. The third issue is we have an enemy at our door. We have an enemy at our door. I don't need to spend a lot of time on this one, but let me just give you one example. Okay, think about this for a second. If I were to poll the room, I believe if I were to ask you, hey, what are some of the most wonderful moments of your life? Did they happen with friends or without friends? I think most of you would say they happened with friends. If I were to ask you another question, what are some of the moments that you most regret in your life? Did they happen with friends or without friends? I think most of you would say they would happen with friends. How is that possible? This thing that can give us the most joy, give us kind of this, the, the experiences in life that we remember, the things in life that we fall back on. The thing that is supposed to be sweet can turn sour in an instance. There's an enemy at our door, waiting and ready to pounce. I don't know everyone's story in the room. I, I hardly know anyone's name. Um, but we've all experienced these hardships in, in making and keeping friends. But I want to take a second, a second just to look at the cross. Let's take a second to look at the cross. What Jesus did on the cross was history's most heroic act of friendship. Let me read John 15, verse 13. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. Jesus, he embodied for us what it looks like to be a friend. Not just friendly, you know, Jesus was friendly, 
but friends, this deep, sweet friendship. Jesus goes on to say in that same chapter in John 15 that, you know, I I once called you servants, but now I call you friends. And the basis for this, the basis for that change of status between servants and friends, those close to him, is the revelation to them of who he is and why he is. The disclosure of the why of Jesus' existence is the foundation for their friendship. The best counsel in the world, the most hearty wisdom, the deepest truth, the mystery of the gospel, that the God of the universe would take on human flesh, that he would live a life uh, that his followers could never live, that he would die a death that he did not deserve, and that he would take on the wrath of God for the sins of the world, that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. He didn't make us meet any requirements to become his friends. He didn't make us jump through any hoops for us to become his friends. He laid down his life so that we might have his. That's friendship. And that's something that he, he offers to us freely. Maybe you've been, been, been coming around Monsieur Day over the summer, and, and maybe you've been a, a bit of a skeptic when it comes to, uh, to faith and religion and to church. And, but you've been coming because you're looking for something more in life. Something more than just an individual's existence. Jesus offers you true friendship today. You can trust in him. You can believe in him. You can repent of your sins like we have been called to do. Jesus. Jesus is the embodiment of a true friend. And the greatest power for us becoming a better friend is being befriended by the best friend. Is that a tongue twister? The greatest power for us becoming a better friend is being befriended by the best friend, Jesus. So us being a friend of Jesus, Jesus gives us the power in his, in his spirit to become a better friend to those around us. So if you're here today and you are a friend of Jesus, if you're here today and that imminence of God is with you, let's just take a look at some practical ways that he empowers you to be a better friend, Okay some practical steps that we can take. So here's the first one. I want to encourage you to approach friendships as a responsibility, not as an obligation. uh, Approach them as a responsibility, not as an obligation. So friendships are a stewardship issue. We're talking tonight with our launch team about stewardship. You've been given this great gift from God, one of the greatest gifts. And you have this responsibility as a follower of Jesus to steward that gift for his glory and for your joy. So we like to say that that stewardship is uh, kind of two sides of the same coin, right? On the one side of that coin, you have management. So when you're given a gift, you have to manage it. You have to understand it. You have to know what it is. You have to uh, cultivate that gift. You need to work at it. You need to be wise in how you use it. You have to manage that gift. But on the other side of the coin is generosity. So you have to management, yes. Management is an issue of stewardship, but generosity is also an issue of stewardship. Not only do you need to manage it, but you need to be generous with it. That's what Jesus teaches us about stewardship. You invest the gift. You risk it. You don't hoard it to yourself. You generously give it to other people, and you see the return for it in the kingdom. Friendships are no different. 
We need to treat them as a responsibility of, of a gift, a, a great gift that God gives us to use for his glory and for your joy. So be responsible for stewarding the gift of friendship in your life. Okay, here's the second kind of application. A little tongue-in-cheek here. There might be a season where you need to pay someone to be your friend. What do I mean by that? Sometimes, sometimes in your life, you need to pay a counselor to be your friend. Maybe, maybe you've, uh, you've tried to be friends with like 30 different people over the last 12 months, and they've all left you, they've all hurt you, they've all run away. It might be time for you to go seek some help. I think I had a stigma about this at one point in my life. No, I don't think. I know. I know I had a stigma about this. But I wouldn't have said that. I wouldn't have said that, that you know, I, I would have said the good kind of godly thing of like, no, yeah, seek help. But in my own life, when I needed to seek help, I saw it as a failure. And then I was confronted with this simple question. If there's a potential for more joy, why wouldn't you? It seemed like a failure in my life to go to a counselor when I needed it with my marriage. But it wasn't. It was an act of going to someone to help us to get to a place of, uh, of flourishing, a, a place of where we could be true friends with one another. And we're, we're kind of working this into our staff culture at Gateway. So our, the, the uh, kind of healthcare plan that we have, it's a $25 copay to go see a counselor. And so what Gateway is doing is for our staff, they're, they're paying for 12 visits a year just to kind of create this culture of like, it's okay to seek help. It's okay to seek someone to be your friend for a period of time so that you can get back to a place of being a good friend to others. So maybe you can think about ways that you can carve out some margin in your life to do that. If you're in a season where you need this, take that next step tomorrow. Reach out to some of the church staff here. I'm sure they know good people around here. But don't do nothing. If there's a potential for more joy, why wouldn't you? All right, here's number three. Be wise about who your friends, uh, who your friends are. Be wise about who your friends are. Let me just read Proverbs 13:20, another good proverb here. Whoever walks with the wise becomes wise, but the companion of fools will suffer harm. What do you want to be about, right? Surround yourself with those types of people. This is just kind of a general truth about life, right? I've gone through many phases in my life. Uh, I think there was a Carhartt phase. Um, there was a surfer phase with some, like, bleach tips, even though I have blonde hair. Don't ask me about it. Uh, there was a Mohawk phase. Um, there was a long hair and earrings phase. Uh, I think now I'm working on my dad jokes phase. Um, and Facebook is a, a catalog to all of this. So if you want to go get some embarrassing stuff, just go look it up. But the point is, you, you begin to look like the people that you surround yourself with. You begin to act like the people that you surround yourself with. You begin to say the things like the people who you surround yourself with. And this isn't just true for students. Students, this is very true for you. But parents, this is true for you. Grandparents, this is true for you. Who are you surrounding yourself with? Whoever walks with the wise will become wise, but the companion of fools will suffer harm. It doesn't say that you will become a fool, but it says that you will suffer harm. Why? Why would you put yourself in that situation? Be wise in whom you walk with. All right, here's the fourth one. 
take the risk of finding a sweet friend. Earnest counsel is difficult, right? But there is such a sweet reality that comes from being open and transparent to those who you are close with. And you don't have to be like that with everyone. That's my mistake sometimes. You don't have to. And actually, you shouldn't. You shouldn't be like that with everyone. But you can't be like that with no one. You need those people in your life who can have your sorrows and double your joys. To get there, you have to take a risk. It is a calculated risk, and the return on that investment is really good, but it is a risk. Even if you get hurt again, I think in the end, the potential of having someone close to you, the potential of having that experience here on earth, the potential of living out what Jesus called us to live out here, I think it'll be worth it. Because in the end, the beautiful thing about Jesus is that he will make all of the sad things in life come untrue. So that's number four. Take the risk. Take the risk of finding a sweet friend. Here's one, one more for you. I don't have it uh, written down, but here's one more for you. Here at Missio Day, you guys have something called community groups. You guys have some different studies. You guys have uh, some small groups that you can join. And they're getting ready to launch back up in the fall, in September. Why don't you start preparing yourself now to be a part of that? Why don't you take the time now to carve out that margin in your schedule to make it a priority? If, if your church is kind of coming around you and setting you up, trying to set you up for success in your growth and maturity in Christ, to become more like him, to become a better friend, why wouldn't you take the time now to make that a priority in your schedule? Because September's going to be here soon. I know that because we're trying to launch in September and it feels like it's tomorrow that we need to get everything done. But do it now. Take the time now. I think it's a beautiful thing to live in community with each other. I think my last encouragement would just be don't do life alone. Do it together. Let me pray for us. Um, just, just that the Lord would kind of fill this void of, uh, of what community could be uh, with what it should be. God, um, community is a beautiful thing. It's something that, uh, that you created. God, uh, even when you created Adam, uh, something wasn't right until you gave him the community of Eve. So, Lord, I just pray now that as, uh, as individuals that we would seek to lay our life down for others, that we, would, uh, that we would take the time, that we would carve out the margin in our life, that we would make it a priority to risk, even when the culture around us, even when we've been hurt in the past, even when there's an enemy at our door, Lord, let us do the things necessary to become a better friend. And let us take the, the wise words of Proverbs seriously in our life. Lord, all the promises, all the promises of the Bible find their yes and their amen in Jesus. And this is no different. This is no different, Lord. Help us look to Jesus as the true friend. Help us see Jesus for who he truly is. Let us see and, and look on the cross as that true act of friendship so that when we're called to be friends with others, we can give them that earnest counsel. We love you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.